Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, however, wherever, whenever you're listening, this is the Root for Wisconsin show, episode 24, the Jeff Gordon slash Kobe Bryant episode. That has nothing to do with the rest of the episode, just numbers in my head. I'm Eric Biggie, joined in person by Ramsey. What's going on? And once again via Zoom, being a dad, Justin Dell sitting at home. Yeah, we get we got a little sick lean at home, and, and and the other little guys getting some uh, baseball in, and, and both parents couldn't be in the same place, so uh, I I had to bite the bullet, stay home tonight, and, and dad up for a minute, and now I'm here joining you guys. I'm excited. The whole staying at home thing's been happening a lot. That's all I'm just gonna say. Yeah, and uh, I'll tell you what, we're getting we're getting close to that due date to 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 old number two two coming down so we we had to kind of take her to the hospital the other day and we thought we thought maybe we were having her a little early but turns out everything's all right we're still on track for however long from now and, and um, everything's going hey, good, if, so. if uh if your daughter's born on my birthday do i get some sort of naming right you get no naming right i have i have uh Passed this by my wife. Um, my wife has seen um, the mullet and the sunglasses that you wear, uh, and she's absolutely against giving you any naming rights. You know what? I think that she's just jealous. <laughs> she hasn't even seen the short shorts yet or the crop top. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking that would solidify the answer of which she has expressed upon me. All right, we got a lot of stuff to talk about this week. We got Mason Sprangers joining us later. Mason was excellent. It's going to be straight fire. You guys are going to hang out for that. Excellent. And when he first came on, and I have a feeling he's going to be excellent this week. I can. I'm glad he. I'm so glad he doesn't do like a whole lot of other stuff, like promoting himself, and he actually comes on our show. Yeah, I know. Because he he does he is too good for this show. Oh, this show is hot garbage, and Mason comes on. We're Good. Like, it's yeah. a good show to listen to. So, be excited for that. Uh, we got a little bit of business talk. Monkey Knife Fight, our partner's over there. Putting money in your pocket. Play the contest. Raise energy. Code Get you through the day. Code Root4. Repsports.com. R-E-P-P-S-P-O-R-T-S.com. Code Root4. Raise energy. Primary product. They got a whole lot of other stuff. They got sleeping products. They've got pre-workout. They've got popcorn. They've got awesome gear, which Ramsey's wearing right now. He's got the hat on. So basically what they are is... It's a whole lifestyle, just really. Let me, let me know. So you can chug a raise right in the morning, right? Right. Then for your snack, you got a little popcorn. Some protein popcorn. Yep, and then when you're about to hit the gym after work, you got your pre-workout, right? Yep. And then after you come down off that caffeine high, you got a little bit of uh, some melatonin to put in your bed, huh? Yeah, man. That's what you're telling me? Whole day. So it's just a lifestyle thing, is what you're saying. And you can wear your t-shirt to the gym. You can yep. wear your long sleeve shirt after the gym. And you got your rep sports, raise energy hat all day long. That's all you got to do. So that's route four. And then we're going to start off the episode with what we always start off with. Sponsored by Fanatics. What we had rooted for this week's Fanatics love on. Whether your team's at the top of the world or in a rebuilding phase or anywhere in between. Rep your team, 300-plus powered sports stores, including the MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, you name it, they've got it. Fanatics, hashtag love on. And Ramsey, you, you seem like you're fired up for this episode. What do you what did you root for this last week? I rooted for Road or not Road America. Circuit, Circuit of America. America this weekend. Oh, that's... <sighs> yeah, and that says it all. 
Yeah. Well, and I'm sure you'll have more on well, that. Well, and Papa Phil. Yep. Yep. How great was watching Phil. Well, I'll jump on it. That's what I rooted for. I, I rooted for Papa Phil at 50 years old to take it at home. And, and what an amazing scene on, on 18 to end it. There had to be a thousand people just surrounded them. It was awesome. You know, and that, I would honestly say that was probably one of the best sporting moments I've ever seen. Oh, yeah, I was up there. That and I think Tiger winning the Masters after coming back, I think that was up there too. He's a um, bad driver, though. He's a terrible driver. Masters, if you do an 80, son. But also then, I mean, I'll kind of piggyback on the NASCAR route. You know, the one positive for me coming out of Circuit of America, another 1-2 finish for Hendrick Motorsports. With Chase Elliott getting the win. Kyle Larson, another second-place win. Another thing that happened this week is what I had rooted for at the end of the show last week was the Brewers not sucking three in a row. They pulled off and uh, tie ball game one-to-one here now. So hopefully something happens right now. But, yeah, that's pretty cool. So uh, all that, what we had rooted for, Justin just threw something else in the group chat here. Derek Rose lighting the world up right now. Who would have thought in 2020? Derek Rose, Papa Phil. 2021. 2021? Right. 2021-2020 season. Derek Rose, the Knicks, and Phil Nicholson are all relevant. Relevant, yeah. Top of the world right now. Top of the world. I'm telling you, this game is lights out, though. It's been a great game. You know, I'm going to take one other thing that we kind of rooted for and we talked about pretty heavily last week. Milwaukee Bucks right now up 2-0. I mean, that first game, nail-biter. Second game just came out and kicked the crap out of the Holy Miami Heat. Cow. So, Justin, how do you feel about my Miami take from last week? Or after, my Miami take last after week. After seeing... Uh, yeah, great great takes. I'll bite the bullet, you know. But, look, you, you've only, you're only two up. You're going back to Miami now. And so, we'll, we'll see. You got to steal at least one. If you steal at least one, you're golden. I think you're going to come home and... Justin, it's a it's a seven game. I'm, I'm trying I'm trying to remember how these series work. It's a two three two 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 one it... one one. Yeah, you don't have to okay. steal one, Justin. You can just win all your home games and you're fine. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean it's. Speaking of stealing it, a road yeah, game, you steal, though, you steal one. You steal one here. You you're gonna win the series. And... So I have two takes on the NBA playoffs. Yeah, yeah I know we're trying to cut this short because we got Mason at the end of this episode. That you're not gonna want to miss. You're not gonna want to miss. We're gonna cut this short. So the playoffs this year, there are two teams I would be concerned if I was if you are a fan of this current team. Number one, the Brooklyn Nets. The Brooklyn Nets have some problems that have not been exposed yet due to the Boston Celtics, but they are there. So watch the Nets. They they're probably going to prove me wrong because they do have three superstars and whatever. But that team has some flaws. And when they are going to play a physical team, so a Milwaukee, a Philadelphia, uh, Lakers, even the Knicks, the Knicks, um, the Jazz, there are a lot of teams in the NBA right now that could expose the Nets. So Nets fans, you're watching, don't count rings yet. You guys have a long way to go. The other team is the Los Angeles Clippers. Yes. Fellers, you guys are in trouble. You have a billionaire owner that's not going to accept two early exits, and Luka Doncic is 
you're calling Luca daddy right now. That's all it is. <laughs> it's daddy Luca, and you know you get. <laughs> If you're a Clipper fan, man, they just they're they've been outclassed twice now. Yeah, it hasn't even been close. And then what always makes me nervous is when one of your star players comes out and the star player and the head coach come out after both those losses and oh, nothing to look at here. We're fine. We're 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 still fine. This is all good. Sure, you might be fine. You might be good, but you're getting beat up pretty good. You need this is a must win game coming up here. Will they play tomorrow? I believe, I believe so. Tomorrow? Uh, Friday, it looks like. Yeah, I think because of the, the travel, they take that extra travel yep, day. So. Friday, Friday night. So that's something that you can watch the Nets and Clippers back-to-back. So, All right, Rams. So then we go from positive to the negative. Noogie of the week time. I know you said you had a lot of these loaded up. I'm going to let you just go. I really only got the one, and that's the NASCAR. So Circuit of the Americas and... For our audience, and I know a lot of you guys aren't F1 fans, and I don't really expect anyone to be that's listening to the show. F1 cars and F1 tracks are completely different from what NASCAR is trying to do. So you're taking extremely heavy stock cars and putting them on a track that's designed to be driven extremely fast, and stock cars aren't extremely fast. So, Justin, I think you can attest to this too. That race was, what, four hours, and there were still 15 laps left? Yeah, it was I mean, utterly brutal. And I, I'm a diehard NASCAR fan. NASCAR is probably my favorite sport. I get up. Sundays are my days. I just, you can ask my wife. I lock myself in a room and watch NASCAR, even Saturdays sometimes and Friday nights with trucks. So I was racing all weekend. And all three racing events, those at Circuit of the, or, yeah, Circuit of the Americas this weekend, weren't great. Um, NASCAR racing in the rain I will defend you because I think it's the right move to do and that's the right place to be going with the sport however your car as of today has not been designed to run in the rain is not really designed to run road courses like we're running so it's great that we're trying to expand into new markets and great that we're trying to do new things with the sport however when you have, and I would almost consider Sunday somewhat of an embarrassment to the sport, when that's not helping the brand expand. And yeah, it's 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 definitely tough. I mean, you're trying you're trying to watch this race, and, and the leader is out there by I think at one point it was eleven seconds. It, it was nine for sure. That, Kyle Busch had nine second lead for a long time. It's incredibly unwatchable um the 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 greatest and you hate to say this the greatest part of of the race was when these guys couldn't see and and we're driving straight into a corner or driving straight into the ass end of other other drivers out there i tell you that was the most action It, it didn't really i mean there really wasn't um um a lot of driver ability uh the car really told the story um uh, I, I applaud NASCAR because they went today in, to Richmond and did a, uh, a, a water test with, with uh, some tires, and, and they've even tested out three different types of uh, mud flaps on the cars to, to uh, kind of hold down the spray 
from which the tires have. And to be so, honest, um, they they've recognized the the problem. Uh, they're taking a step in the right direction, but th that race altogether as an experiment was an utter disaster. Is that your nugget of the week too, Justin? No, no, my because Ramsey took it. I was I, that was what it was going to be. My my nugget of the week, and this can be just so short and sweet. Is uh, NBA players as a whole, um, every time there's a dead ball um, or a foul or anything to do with a play that's happening where there's a, a whistle, um, it's either replay or or these guys pissing and moaning at the refs. And, and I I know I said it the other day. I, I think I even said it on our on our Facebook page, but. This it, it's starting to become unwatchable. It's uh, it's way way past where it should have gone, um, and you can really tell that it's probably going to start uh, affecting the lower levels of basketball, uh, all the way even down to high school, um, even small small schools like like mine. So, I wish the NBA would do something about this to to shut these guys up. Um, and just play the game a little bit. You know, I get it, but just shut up and play the game. So that's one of the problems that the NBA will never be able to get away from with how their player... So the NBA, the players run the league, right? Adam Silver is a joke, is a... A, a figurehead. A figure. Yeah, he's, he's relatively a joke. He kind of backs down, like... Well, he didn't suspend. He didn't suspend, fine LeBron for anything. But then he goes and finds was it Porzingis or Luca? Well, again, LeBron has his own rules, so you can't really. Just... I'm not. I'm not saying I disagree with it. I'm just saying it's it's inconsistent. Bronx. It is what it is. You watch that LeBron hate Justin behind you like a spider no, monkey. Not LeBron. Huh? Yeah. Take my nugget of the week. I'm gonna actually go back with Ramsey here. So I didn't get a chance to watch the Circuit of America race, and I'm glad I didn't. I got all I needed to with a couple highlights on YouTube, watching Radioactive, and just seeing how much of a expletive show that was with the the rain. I mean, I, I'm not going to – I know we had talked about guys complaining about the safety, and, and NASCAR is probably one of the safest racing sports yeah. there is. Like NASCAR takes their, their safety incredibly serious, and as they should. But to the point where, as Justin was just saying a few moments ago, where the race being its most entertaining moments was when guys couldn't see because they have like the little single wiper blade and it, it was just a disaster all the way around. It's a track that's not designed for NASCAR. I get what they're trying to do to grow the sport and expand the sport, but this weekend wasn't it. So I was going to get back to this um, during the Nuggie, and I was pretty negative about the Circle of Americas. However, they're just like Bristol Dirt, there's a few things they can change, and especially with the new car coming in, there are some things that they can change to make this better. Right. So could this Circle of Americas definitely be a staying point on the NASCAR schedule? I do think that's a possibility. But you need to make sure your car is capable of handling the track that you take it to. Where the car, the track was outclassing the cars this past weekend. And that's nothing, Circle of the Americas is a world-class racetrack. Like, 
a lot of tracks in America are America class, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But there are very few that are truly a world class racetrack. Circle of the Americas happens to be one of those. So you're taking uh, you're, the track was outclassing the car all weekend, mm-hmm. and that's how it was. Every any car that NASCAR brought there. The track was, you're not going to get the most out of the car at that track because the car is not capable of handling it to handle the track. And that's just what it is. So with the new car coming, I think some of these problems will be resolved. It's just this, this one, and I, I even want to say Bristol Dirt, was another one that will be better. Just give it a year or two. Well, and, that, and that's ultimately what I'm saying here with this, this nuggie here is just it had potential. And, you know, with each of these two tracks, you know, you mentioned the, the new car that's next year, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe something they should have held off till next year. Like, I get that you can't, you know, that you got to find out first and make your adjustments based on that, but... You need a baseline, though, and I, that's what NASCAR's doing. They're, just, they're getting their baseline, and this season, especially coming off COVID. Mm-hmm. So COVID's the great equalizer in every sport right now. So NASCAR kind of had to jump everything last year. And then this year, I don't. I think they had the stuff kind of scheduled, being like, "I hope it happens. If it doesn't, though, yeah, not the end of the world." So they're just getting a baseline for stuff. NASCAR's gonna be a great place next year. Oh, I'm, without a doubt. Like this, this failure is not. And you know, I'm not gonna necessarily say it was a failure. I shouldn't maybe say that, but this setback is setting up a major potential comeback. Yep. So can it be great? Sure. Mm-hmm. Just this weekend wasn't it. This weekend wasn't great. It will be. I, I truly think Circle of the Americas is going to be a great race in a few years. Just give it give it two years. Let guys get used to driving on a Formula One track, which, again, world-class track. Like, it was designed based on the best corners of other racetracks. So right. it's not just like it's some... Random. It's not Road America. Road America is a great racetrack, too. Hometown guy, love Road America. But Circle of the Americas is a... Step above. It's a different level than what everybody right. else are racing on right now. So just a quick, before we get to Mason here in just a few moments, trip around Wisconsin. Like I said, Brewers doing better. That's good. You know, don't have to spend too much time on that. Bucks, though, uh, just want to touch on this quick. 2-0 lead against Miami. Looks that Saturday was a little bit of a, you're, you know, they took every punch Miami could throw at them. And I think, you know, I think I had tweeted it on Saturdays. If you look at like last year, previous years, that's a game they probably lose. Yeah, they weren't. You know, they are not always up for that that mental task. They're not always up for um, the the physical side of it either. They took every punch. They responded with their own. Chris Middleton played well. Chris Middleton played well. Drew Holiday. I think Drew Holiday was that missing piece that yeah, was. wasn't in that series last year. Eric Bledsoe was kind of a no show in that series. And Ever's whole career. And Drew Holiday was that guy. The bench has played incredible thus far. But Drew Holiday has done it in two different ways, too. I mean, the scoring's there mm-hmm. in both games so far. But Drew Holiday, first game, it was the rebounds. I think he had yep. an end up with 11 in the first game. On two, Monday night, so game two, he had 15 assists. Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to the game tomorrow night. So by the time this airs and, and you're hearing this, that game will already be happened and, and hopefully bucks up 3-0, about to hopefully maybe sweep the defending Eastern Conference champions. Mm-hmm. But I, I, like I said, just watching this team, it's, so, it's exactly what I needed to see these first two games. 
to kind of buy into a Bucks playoff run. Yeah, and you know, I don't you don't want to necessarily overreact to Miami because they're kind of a, in my opinion, the middle of a pack team that got hot last year. I don't disagree with so, that, but but I agree with what you're saying though. With it makes I, I'm kind of excited for Bucks basketball. That's probably the first time I said that all year. And that, I, that's exactly like I said. I I finally to this point, and maybe you know Justin probably watches them closer than I do, but I, I'm buying into this team right now, and I I couldn't say that at any point last year, and especially not throughout this season. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I quickly flipped after what Ramsey had said last week. I, I thought that was a great point, and it clearly um, came to fruition through the first two games. But I, I don't think they're gonna, you know, sweep Miami. Um, we'll see. We'll we'll see what happens after they get past Miami now. Um, you know, obviously they're going to end up having to take on on the Nets. Um, so you know, it it's gonna it's gonna come down to to uh, some some names we're not used to hearing, like a Lopez or or a DiVincenzo, um, to to really step up um, and kind of maximize their efforts to to pick up some of the the the, the heap that's left for from from our quote unquote big three. Um, because you know Brooklyn's got a big three that that is uh, pretty unmatchable uh, across the board. Um, so that that's the team you get past. Obviously, you look at the 76ers and they're kind of struggling. Uh, they they should be blowing out a team um, like Washington. But uh, it, it, you know when you're the number one seed, you should be blowing out blowing them up but uh, uh yeah I, I don't know if i'm totally buying into to the bucks as as a championship contender but uh, uh eastern conference finals for sure yeah and and i mean with that you guys ready to get to mason yeah no nope. justin <laughs> yeah absolutely joining us now he's back mason sprangers we've talked to him before the draft Figured, why not talk to him now that the drafts happened? We got some actual stuff to kind of get some scouting evaluations on, get his opinions on all the latest happenings in the Green Bay Packers. Mason Sprangers, college football personnel. How you doing, buddy? Doing great. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Ramsey, how you doing? Awesome. I'm Justin, glad how Mason are you doing? I, I'm doing good. I'm super excited for this. Oh, yeah, me too. So we got plenty to talk about, Mason, since the last time you've been on. So first, I guess I'll ask the the burning question of the hour. What's up? What do you think is going on with all the Rogers stuff? What's your opinion on this? Yeah, it was definitely a uh, a wrench kind of thrown into everything since uh, since the last time we talked. Um, you know, we talked what two weeks prior to the draft, and none of this had happened uh, at all. Um, you know, there were some some inklings maybe that there was uh, some unhappiness on Aaron's part and, and things like that. But, um, of course, it turned into a huge media firestorm on the, the day of the draft. But, um, yeah, obviously, I'm not in the building. I don't, I don't know. I don't think really anyone knows. I mean, uh, you know, there's obviously a lot of different reports out there, a lot of them you know, believe them if you want. I'm not really going to believe all 
yeah, specific stories as far as like the, the Jerry Krause stuff and telling free agents not to come. I don't really buy into any of that. I think uh, that's a bunch of nonsense. Just knowing Aaron, I've gotten to interact with Aaron over the years and, and stuff like that. He's just not that kind of guy. Um, so I don't really buy into any of that. Um, also believe that the, the media in general have created it to be a much bigger thing than it really is. Uh, I think it was blown out of proportion slightly. Um, now I, I do think that there are issues obviously. Um, and, and really my, my thoughts with it are, you know, from, a from Aaron Rodgers' perspective, um, I, I can see that this has been coming for, for quite some time. I can completely understand why he may be upset with how the organization has operated with, with him being there. And really, I mean, you look at, uh, decisions that have been made over the years that directly affect him, you know, guys that he's trusted immensely at the wide receiver position, like a Jordan Nelson or Randall Cobb, a Jake Kummerow were all let go. And, you know, that trust and that chemistry between a wide receiver and a quarterback takes a long time and a lot of reps to develop. And, you know, to get Aaron Rodgers trust, you know, you have to really be consistent not make the same mistakes more than once. And, you know, he had those guys in the building, which were let go, which, you know, the personnel guys, they got a job to do. They got to put the best 53 man roster together. So I could, I can understand that. But then you look on top of those things and his quarterback coach, Alex Van Pelt, who I know he was extremely close with. He had a great relationship with Alex's family, not just a working relationship. It was a personal relationship he was let go without even really consulting Aaron at all about it um then you have the whole thing with the draft last year which um I don't think it was necessarily about the pick itself I think it was just more about the fact that he wasn't informed ahead of time so you add that on top of it and then which this I think is kind of maybe the thing that pushed it over the top which not too many people I have heard talk about it is the fact that Tom Brady went to Tampa Bay and, you know, he has no affiliation to that organization whatsoever. He's been in New England his entire career. He has no affiliation to Tampa Bay prior to going there. And within his first two months of being there, you know, he, he's like, we need a, a blindside protector. They draft Tristan Wirfs. He's like, I want to bring Gronk in. They bring Gronk in. I want to bring Antonio Brown in. They bring in Brown. I want to bring Fournette in. They brought in Fournette. They did absolutely everything that he wanted to do. And they went out and won the Super Bowl. And, you know, if you're Aaron Rodgers and you're sitting there and you see that, you know, how can you not be a little frustrated about that, that he's been there for 16 years and, you know, maybe they didn't consult him or didn't, you know, value his opinion as much as they could have. I don't know. Like I said, I'm not in the building, but, you know, I can completely understand and see, you know, the the position and feeling that Aaron Rodgers has right now. So just to kind of follow up with that, Mason, if you remember back a couple of weeks ago when you had joined us, got to be a little uh, feeling a little vindicated on the fact that you kind of predicted that, you know, kind of what he echoed in his interview with Kenny Maine on Monday, saying that this may have been set in motion before and 
and that Rodgers more or less kind of confirmed that him having that MVP season kind of threw the wrench in the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, you know, the the writing was was on the wall. Like, I mean, like like I said the last time I was on, and of course, it was just my opinion and how I viewed things at the time. But you know, the way that Aaron played in 2018 and 2019, it wasn't bad football. Like he he was still playing at a good level, but it wasn't that Aaron Rodgers. MVP level, like best ever seen level that you saw from, you know, late 2010 through 20. Well, it wasn't the same level as that. So it just seemed like, okay, they, they picked this kid and with, with the Packers picking Uh love that completely changed the script because now the Packers had the leverage as far as dictating when Aaron's time in Green Bay was going to end. And so once that happened, like I said, the Packers had all the leverage of, you know, they kind of had the control at that point of when his time in Green Bay was going to end. Well, now he just went out and was the easily the best player in the league this last year. He was, it was one of the best seasons a quarterback has ever had in the history of the league. And so now he's once now he wants that control back of when his time is going to expire here in Green Bay. And how can you blame him? I mean, he's devoted his entire adult life to this organization and to the city. And, you know, one point I do want to make is, uh, you know, I've seen obviously social media is blown up with, with everything regarding this uh, situation. And um, I'm actually shocked by the amount of people that, um, you know, say, oh, he's he's making $130 million. Like, he should just, you know, go play ball and, and be quiet. Well, you know, when I see stuff like that, it, it, it angers me because, you know, we see professional athletes all the time, no matter what sport it is, they, they leave the team that they were drafted by and they go and they sign a big contract somewhere else. And those athletes get killed for going and chasing the money. Well, now you have this guy who is, not chasing money. He's saying, you know, I, I love, I want the people here that are here. You know, I love my teammates, I love my coaches and, but I want the culture. I want the, the philosophy of the organization to be better. And he's getting killed for it and saying, Oh, you should just take your money. Well, you know, the people, you can't have it both ways. It's either, you know, should he, should he take his money and shut up or is he okay to go take money somewhere else? And, you know, <laughs> There's, there's so many contradictory things where athletes are just killed all the time involving money. And, you know, sure, yeah, he makes $130 million, but he also spends during the season, he spends every single day from late July through whenever the season ends, he spends, you know, 14 hours a day at Lambeau Field. So, you know, sure, yeah, you're making a lot of money, but at the same time, he's, he's showing right now that the money is not the most important thing to him. He's showing that the culture and the workplace environment is the most important thing and that the the people running the organization should create a a better work environment. He's trying to get that to improve in, in some sort of way. So, um, you know, there's so many facets to it, obviously. And like I said, being outside the building, you know, you just, you don't really know, 
Um, but you know, those are just kind of, kind of my thoughts with it for sure. Yeah. Mason, I was just going to follow up with that. And, and this is an interesting lead into my question, uh, was with five of the eight wide receivers, our top five wide receivers kind of opting out of these voluntary, uh, OTAs here. Uh, do you think that that could be a show of solidarity with Aaron and, and his frustrations and, maybe some of the mindset uh, of that is falling into his teammates and in Aaron's kind of just the guy that, you know, is, is the leader of the team and he's putting himself out there to, to kind of show management that, you know, things have to change around here for, for us to, to end up getting to that Super Bowl, getting over the hump. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think definitely possible. I'm not going to say, you know, them not showing up is because of Aaron or isn't, but, um, I do find it kind of interesting that all five of the top wide receivers, I mean, don't show up. I mean, I, I had assumed that Adams wasn't going to, wasn't going to participate. I mean, a lot of, a lot of the vets, uh, the skill positions and, um, you know, guys that have a lot of mileage on them tend to maybe not show up. Um, but you know, when you got all five receivers not showing up, I think it definitely is possible that, maybe they're trying to show, Hey, you know, we're, we're standing with our guy. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think Devante was on Colin Cowherd's show, I believe. And, and he had mentioned the fact that, you know, if Aaron were to not be in green Bay this upcoming season, that maybe it does have an effect on if he wants to resign here. Cause he's like, Aaron's, Aaron's my guy. I mean, he's, he's been my guy since I came in the league. So, you know, that those guys, they, the team revolves around him. I mean, you go to practice, you go uh, to a game and you're looking on the sideline, like that team revolves around him. I mean, people gravitate towards him with just the, the personality and just the aura that he has, the presence that he has. All right, Mason, then just with and, that. Oh, go ahead. You know, it's, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is just one of the, the benefits of Zoom here. Um, I was just going to say, so if if you're in, I mean, if, if Mason's GM, if Mason Springer's is GM right now, I guess, how do you think this resolves, you know, if it does? And what's kind of going to happen here? What do you expect to kind of see going forward here, too? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard situation. I mean, like, like I said, you know, the last time I was on with how the situation was handled, the, the organization, they put themselves in a really, you know, precarious situation. And, you know, really when you, you hear other quarterbacks talk out about being let, you know, getting informed about what the team is going to do. Like Alex Smith, he was just on with Colin Cowherd today. And he said that he was told four or five times leading up to the draft that they were looking to trade up for Patrick Mahomes. And, um, you know, you look at Andy Dalton in Chicago, apparently he was informed that they're going to bring in Justin Fields. You know, that that's just a, a business thing thing to do. I mean, it's not just a football thing. It's just a, a people, uh, relationship thing to do. And the fact that that didn't happen and that Aaron Rodgers was, 
you know, sitting back drinking scotch the night of the draft. And all of a sudden he sees a quarterback pop up on the screen. I mean, um, you know, right, right away, it's just, you know, it creates a, an uneasiness, you know, for, for Aaron, especially, you, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, okay, well, am, am I not your guy anymore? Like, do you not want me there anymore? And I just don't think of course it is now with this situation, but maybe prior to this situation, maybe it was never really communicated to him that they wanted him here and that he was their guy moving forward. Of course, you know, they've come out and said that now, but you know, when you have a guy like Aaron Rodgers, first ballot hall of famer, I think the most talented quarterback to ever play the game, you got to go above and beyond to make sure that guy is loved and adored. Um, and maybe that just didn't happen. And at this point, obviously they've all taken separate trips out there. Like when I say they, you know, Murphy and Gutekinds and LaFleur. Um, but, but really, I think it's so much more than just all those guys individually. I think it's, you know, when I look at it from just growing up in this city and, you know, looking at what Lambo was when I went to my first game in 2002 to where it is now. And it's okay. We're, we're building title town. We're, we're adding to the stadium. We're doing the tailgate village. We're helping build the Resh expo center. You know, we're doing all these things, but it's like, why are we not putting the same effort and, you know, uh, tools into winning championships as we are to you know, winning business off the football field. I can completely see if Aaron Rodgers feels that way. Cause you know, he, knowing him, he drives, you know, East on Lombardi towards Lambeau past title town every single day. So how can you not have a feeling like, okay, we're, we're doing all of this as an organization outside the stadium. Why are we not putting the same resources into you know, inside the stadium? So I think there's so many things to it, you know, as a, as a GM, um, I, I honestly really don't know what you can do at this point. Um, you know, obviously I would first apologize for not relaying, you know, the, the draft pick into, uh, you know, the decision to Aaron Rodgers prior to it happening. Um, I would make it well known that his opinion, as far as who he trusts out on the football field and who he wants to go to battle with every weekend, I want to, you know, let him know that that opinion is valued and that it's heard. Um, and, and really beyond that as a, as a GM, I, I really don't know what more you can do. I guess just to kind of transition with that, Mason, you led us into this perfectly. A lot of talk and it's not really feasible from a financial standpoint right now per se, but as we know, you know, Monday Rogers on Kenny Maine and, Julio Jones spoke with Shannon Sharp talking about how he's out of Atlanta. Somehow, even despite the cap deficits, Green Bay is one of the favorites to land Julio Jones. Is that, do you see that as a, as a even decent move or is that, are you kind of out on that? Personally speaking, I'm out on that, but where do you see on that, on that specific instance? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen a lot of people talking about it, um, you know, from a, a salary cap perspective, I don't think it's feasible in any stretch of the imagination. I mean, um, 
you know, the, the league and the PA came out, uh, saying that the ceiling for the cap for next year was going to be, you know, 208 million, which is, you know, which is great. I mean, that's a ceiling. So it doesn't mean it's going to be that, but at the same time, you know, that's definitely higher than a lot of people anticipated, but the package still have a ton of work to do financially to get under the cap for next year. So, you know, a guy like Julio Jones, who is going to probably attract more than he's worth just because of his name and the reputation that he has in the league. Um, you know, I don't think it's cost feasible for, for the Packers at this point to be able to land a guy like that. Um, you know, I look at uh, Julio Jones and really, you know, his, his play has been kind of diminished by injuries specifically over the last couple of years. I mean, obviously, you know, still a, you know, a really technical route runner, a really big guy that can go up and high point the football and win those contested battles. And, um, you know, still, you know, tough to bring down after the catch. So, I mean, he still has tools to work with, but he's not the, the Julio that he was, you know, earlier, you know, in the past decade. And, you know, while he's a, uh, a phenomenal player and he has been, he's you know, one of the, the best wide receivers to do it over the past, you know, 10, 15 years. Um, you know, if he's, if he's wanting the money that is kind of reported out there, um, yeah, I just, I can't imagine a scenario that the Packers would, uh, would go out and spend that. All right. Simple answer here. Who's starting week one for the Bay Packers under center barring injury. <laughs> I'm going to, I am, I'm going to say Aaron Rodgers. I, I, you know, I, <laughs> it's, it's, it's tough because right now, you know, if you were to ask me, I actually, I was just talking to a, a friend about this just a little bit ago. Um, you know, if, if things were to stand as they are right now, I would be surprised if Aaron Rodgers shows up to training camp with the situation as it is right now. But I just, the, the organization really, really has to put a plan together here as far as how they're going to get him back. Because in, in my opinion, I think Aaron Rodgers is the, the best player that the Green Bay Packers will ever have on their roster. That was in the past and into the future. I think he's the best player that they will ever have. And I'll, I'll just say right now, I think I think the the Packers need Aaron Rodgers a lot more than Aaron Rodgers needs the Packers. So the the Packers need to really go out and make sure that whatever Aaron Rodgers is wanting or needing, that they meet that. Because th- the only way that you are winning championships anytime soon is if that guy's under center. Um, so you know it's it's so unknown at this point, but you know, deep down, um, you know, I would, I would say Aaron Rodgers. So in an alternate, maybe as just the alternate, then one thing that we kind of asked of you before we had John this week, uh, was to give us some information on Jordan love. I mean, we haven't seen, you know, none of us, the three of us, or I'm assuming even you have seen him in a green Bay Packers uniform in person. So with that in mind, I guess, Based on the college tape and what we know about Jordan Love, what could fans expect from him if he is the guy, you know, say Aaron Rodgers holds out, say he gets traded, what can we see with Jordan Love at week one? 
Sure. Well, I'll, I'll go back to, um, the only time I, I had live exposure to him, he was down at the senior bowl a couple of years back. Um, and he, he was down there with, uh, Justin Herbert and, you know, obviously the, the rest of the, the quarterback class down there, but, um, got to watch a couple games of, uh, of tape on him, uh, you know, particularly I keyed in on the LSU game that year. Cause that was his highest level of competition faced, um, you know, when you're, when you're looking at quarterbacks, I'll just kind of prefer, uh, preface this whole thing by saying, you know, you're, what you're looking for. And, you know, you're looking at the critical factors, which you, you look at for every position and that's mental processing, athletic ability, competitive toughness, play speed and play strength. Um, but then you get into the position specifics and you're looking for the game management of the quarterback, accuracy, arm strength, uh, mobility, you know, playing within with and outside the structure of the play, uh, ability to throw with the touch, the mechanics, you know, you're looking at all those things specifically for the quarterback. And, you know, when I looked at, at love on tape, you know, there, there were a, a lot of things to, to like, um, uh, immediately upon watching it, you know, you, you notice that the guys on the team, they rallied around him that he had a presence in the huddle, you know, when they, when they broke the huddle or, you know, when things maybe went a certain direction during the course of the game, you know, they, they turned to him. So, you know, you like to see that. It means that he's well-liked and that he's, you know, has leadership qualities. Um, when you get into actual play, I think his poise is pretty good when, you know, you, when he's pressured, uh, you know, he doesn't panic. He doesn't drop his eyes. Uh, he, you know, <clears throat> find the best escape route. Um, not a program guy. That was one thing that I really liked uh, of him. You know, he he moves his eyes around. He doesn't get locked in on reads. I think he, he sees the field well. Um, I think he's got a big arm. He can drive it to all levels of the field. Can throw that opposite hash throw. That that deep comeback from the opposite hash. That you know scouts. Uh, you know, he can do that. Uh, yeah, I think his ball placement and his accuracy on, on all levels of the field are, are pretty solid. Um, the the thing that you look into with him on his throws was the anticipation, and that comes with the mental processing and reading the field and knowing when guys are going to going to be open. And I think that he did that well, also. But then things that you don't like, so the the mechanics that he had um he has a lot of arm throws where he's not bringing the lower you know half of his body uh he's inconsistent with his weight transfers his shoulders are are often tilted up or down you know when you're you're looking at a the shoulders of a quarterback you know the the old saying is you want to have his shoulders be as flat as a table so they're they're level he had a lot of a lot of exposures where you know, that upper shoulder, that upfield shoulder. So his left shoulder would be tilted up in the air and that causes some inaccuracies. Um, his, his feet, like I said, lower body, his setup and his, his feet doesn't always create a really good base for him to throw the football from. Um, so, you know, the, the mechanics I think are the biggest thing that he has needed to work on. Obviously he's had time to do that. You know, I haven't, this is film from 2019. So, you know, he's had time to improve that. Um, but, but really the last glaring thing 
with watching his tape was was the decision making was a really big question mark because I mean he was a guy his last year in college he threw 17 picks and of course you know some people may look at that and be like oh wow you know he's he's lazy with the football or he um you know he's inaccurate but you know as a as a scout you really want to dive into and always ask the question why like why is he making this certain decision why is he you know, in a certain spot with the football or why is he, you know, whatever it is, you always want to ask why. And when I looked at it, you know, I think the team, I'm going to draw a blank now as probably, you know, two years ago, but I want to say from 2018, 2019, I want to say that they lost like six or seven starters on offense. And to me, at least it, it just looked like he was trying to force the ball. Um, the, they didn't have a ton around him. And I think maybe he knew that he had maybe some added pressure on himself that maybe he had to go out of his way to try to make the big play, make the the big throw into tight coverage. And, and that got some of the turnovers, uh, that, that you saw, but, um, you know, really, like I said, there's a good amount of things to like, but from a, a mechanical and consistent mechanical standpoint, I think there was a lot to improve on um, once his career ended at uh, Utah State. Yeah, Mason. Uh, my question for you is, and there's been a lot of a lot of talk uh, over this on our episodes between between the three of us, and it, it, we're kind of all over the board. Some say three, some say six, or some say five. You know. Um, where in this draft class had he come out in this draft class uh, with the five first-round quarterbacks on when? Um, do you think he would have been rated or, or would have been drafted within those first-round quarterbacks? Sure. Well, the, <clears throat> me, the, the way I had it ranked, um, I had the same grade on Trey Lance that I had on Jordan Love. And the grade that I had on Trey Lance was a late second round pick. So, you know, if I were to, to stack the board, um, you know, including love in, in this class, you know, I would have had Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, Wilson fields. And then, you know, you have the same grade between Lance and love. And at that point, um, you know, if you have a similar grade on guys, it comes down to kind of just deciphering, obviously the teams are specific to them. You know, me, I'm just an independent person. I don't, I don't have to pick for a scheme or, or anything like that. But, um, when you have a guy of the same grade, you really have to kind of factor down of, okay, well, this kid's more personable. This kid would be a better fit in the locker room. So, you know, we're going to, you know, give him the bump ahead of the other guy. Um, so yeah, to, to answer your question, um, Yes, I still, you know, I would have the same grade on him that that late second rounder. And I probably would have had him just above Trey Lance. Yeah, and and so just to kind of go with that, Mason, you know, you talk about the the fit and the scheme, the fit in the locker room. How do you think he fits into Matt LaFleur's offense? Yeah, I mean, when, when you look at you know, the, the traits that I pointed out on tape, the, the decision-making and the, the trying to force things and things like that. 
you know, that can be solved in, in the floor's offense because a lot of um, concepts that the Packers have ran have been stuff that kind of schemes guys open, right? So you have the crossing rubber routes that are designed to free someone up or, um, you know, you have the play action that tries to get those linebackers sucked in and, and try to open something up behind it. So I think the the need to have to create on his own and outside the framework of the play is diminished in, in LaFleur's system, which helps um, Jordan Love out. But at the same time, when you are asked to hit those, those quick hitting plays, I mean, those, you know, if you go watch Aaron Rodgers on tape this last year, I mean, there were so many plays where he is just, just fine tuned with his reads where it's just one. Okay. It's not there. Second read. Okay. Not there. Third read. Okay. Boom. I'm throwing the football, you know, his, his processing and his mechanics as he's working through those progressions are really, really key to the success of the play. You know, the timing of going through those and making sure that your mechanics are solid while going through those. And that's the part where I'm not sure where Jordan is at, because like I said, the, the mechanics are the, are the thing that I think he needed the most work on, you know, coming out of college and in that offense where you're asked to, you know, hit quick throws and go through your progressions, the mechanics kind of take, you know, an, an uptick in importance and making sure that you hit those. And, you know, so if he can develop consistent mechanics and when I say mechanics, I mean, his, his footwork the base that he has to throw the football from uh, his, his weight transfer, his shoulders, everything, all those things, they work together. If, if he can, you know, show improvement on those and continue to improve on them, I don't see any reason he couldn't be successful. Uh, obviously he doesn't have the, the, you know, 10, 12 years of starting experience that Aaron Rodgers has. So he's not going to be the from a, a mental aptitude standpoint as, as Aaron, but you don't expect him to when he's, you know, a young player in the league, he hasn't started a game in the league yet. Um, but you know, th- those things will come, but I think if you, if he is thrust into that position and he can improve the mechanics, I think, you know, there's, there's no reason that he can't be successful in the offense. Yeah. So with that, I guess ultimately, and just to kind of, and or to kind of go off with that, then if Jordan Love is thrust into the starting position week one for any number of reasons, what is your ultimate confidence in Jordan Love as the quarterback of this Green Bay Packers roster? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 so hard because you know even if you're not playing and you're you're on the practice field and you're taking reps with NFL guys and you're in the in the quarterback room with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, you're, you're learning and you're improving for sure. So, I mean, it's, it's hard to say um, from someone that hasn't, you know, obviously been there to see the the growth from him throughout that time. Um, but I just know that, you know, watching tape last year of this team, that there were a lot of plays made outside the framework and plays that maybe shouldn't have necessarily happened, but were made because of Aaron Rodgers and his uh, ability to negotiate the pocket, 
get outside of the pocket, throw on the run, uh, throw into tight windows. Like there, the, the play that I think back to, you know, right away when I say that is there was a play and I don't know if probably no one else will remember this play at all, but, uh, when they were playing Houston this last year, um, Houston brought pressure. I want to say it was a third down <laughs> third and third and eight and Houston brings five guys. Packers have enough guys to protect it, but they, they leave a free rusher. So, you know, Aaron's got pressure right in the face immediately. Uh, they're on the right hash. Devonte is outside to the left. So he's, he's outside the numbers. He's, uh, you know, far away away from the, from the football and he's not open at all. The, the corners playing the trail technique right on the hip of Devonte safety playing over the top. And Aaron's got pressure in the face, throws a strike right over the top of the shoulder, gets it in there over the corner before the safety. And it's, it's plays like that where it's just, I don't think there's anyone else in the league that's making that throw, making that play maybe outside of Patrick Mahomes is maybe the only other person that I think is making that throw in the league right now. So situations like that, where it's just, okay, it, it looks routine because it's Aaron to Devante, but at the same time, you go back and you look at it and you're like, how many other guys in the league are really making this play right now? And, and that's just one example. That's just one play. But there were a lot of those throughout the year where it's just, man, you know, that play went because, you know, Aaron Rodgers did something special. And, you know, if you, if you take that away, I think there'll definitely be a, excuse me, a, a decrease in efficiency. Um, maybe it's not fair to say, maybe, maybe it is, I don't know, but um, you know, I don't that you can expect the same output scoring wise and yardage wise that you saw last year uh, with Rodgers. I don't think they're gonna, um, if, if they didn't have him, I don't see them coming anywhere close to touching 30 points a game like they did last year. All right, Mason. So we, we've talked about quite a bit about the quarterback position here at this point. So time to focus on the current draft picks from this class. I know we had actually really not talked about a whole lot of the guys that actually ended up getting picked. That's just kind of the Packer way. Uh, so first, I guess we can start off with the first round pick, Eric Stokes. Where did you have him graded? Was it a reach at all? And and what do you think of Eric Stokes with the Packers defense? Sure. Yeah, I mean, um, I had him ranked as my seventh cornerback. Um, you know, I had a, an early third round grade on him. Um, so, and and when I answer questions like this, I don't want to, you know, come out saying like the Packers were wrong for picking him here or anything like that, or, or question their evaluation at all. Um, this is just based on, on my grading, my evaluation, but, um, you know, as my seventh corner, uh, early third round grade, um, you know, as far as him as a, as a player, I mean, he's got pretty, you know, okay size. I mean, six foot, 195 pounds. Um, you know, he's played a lot of press coverage, which is definitely encouraging. If you're a, if you're a Packer fan, uh, I think anyone that's watched the team has probably just begged for more press coverage. So he has a lot of experience doing it, um, you know, in, in games tracked. I want to say he was probably in press, probably 60 to 80% of the time. If I, if I had to just guess, um, but you know, when you, when I look at 
you know, cornerback, like I said earlier, the, the critical factors that you look at, the athletic ability, competitive toughness, play speed, uh, play strength, and the, the mental processing. Um, but then you look at the position specifics and you're looking at their, their man coverage abilities, zone coverage, their ability to keen diagnose, you know, their, what's happening in front of them. They have to be able to recognize what's happening. Uh, their hips and their transition, their run support, their ball skills, uh, their closing burst, backpedal, their range. You know, there's so many things to look at um, when, it, when it comes to corners. But, you know, when you look at him, there, he's, at least to me, he was a very sporadic player. And when I say that, I want to, you know, have it as not him, but there's flashes of some really special ball. Um, like in, in man coverage, I would say in press, that is where he's at his best is when he can get his hands on the receiver right at the start of the snap. And he can kind of dictate the route stem right at the beginning of the play. And when he's in off, okay, now you're kind of sitting there and you have time and you're having to wait out the receiver and maybe what is he going to do? Is he going to break that route off? Is he going to go outside of me? Is he going to go inside? You know, there's a lot more things to dissect when you're playing off coverage. And in those situations, particularly at the top of the route and throughout the route stem in general, uh, I think he's a little grabby. And I think there's a lot of, excuse me, there's a lot of flags that came from uh, that grabbiness. And I'm talking, you know, legal contacts or pass interferences, whatever. Um, but, you know, I think he, he likes to get his hands on guys. If he can get his hands on receivers early, the better. Um, so the, the man covers the, the press coverage is something that I really liked when, when I saw him uh, in zone. Yeah. I think his vision his ability to pass off routes and know his responsibility within the, the structure of the defense. Um, was was good um he didn't have a ton of opportunities to take the ball away um but when he did have opportunities i thought he took advantage of them for the most part i thought he played the ball uh pretty well um when the ball's in front of him but when you get to those those deep shots those over the top shots down the field i thought he had moments of losing the football in the air so i think overall his ball skills are something that can improve when you look at him as a tackler. Um, I think he does a pretty solid job on, on the perimeter. You have, you know, you have to take on that receiver and really set the edge, not let anything outside of you. Uh, I think he's been you know, willing to come up and be physical as a, as a run defender. So I think that's you know something to really like with him, but you know, really the thing that stands out is the, the athleticism. And when I say athleticism, I don't want to say, you know, functional athleticism and people may question what that is, but, you know, he, he ran in the four twos in the, in the 40 yard dash, uh, at, at his pro day. So obviously he has that straight line speed, but then you have the, the functional athleticism. So it's great that you can run a straight line. And actually, you know, we, we touched on this in the last episode when we were talking about him, you know, you can run in a straight line all you want. I mean, that's, that's great, but especially at a cornerback position, you have to be able to change direction. You have to be able to get into a back pedal and settle down and, and change direction to follow the route of the receiver. And 
when you look at that functional athleticism, that change of direction and balance and all those things that happen at the top of the route, I think there's a lot that he can improve on um, when it comes to the the change of direction and the suddenness and the the balance at top of route. So overall, I I, I like the player. Um, you know, like I said, I had a third rounder on him, but there's definitely a lot of tools to work with. And if the new new defense that the Packers may be employing this year, the new defensive coordinator, if they are trying to implement more press coverage, I think that he could fit into the defense well. Ramsey? So, Manson, would you, uh, who would you have t- taken at 29 instead? Yeah, at, at that point, honestly, if I was in that position, the, the way the board fell, um, you know, and this was just with my grading, I would have taken Owosu Koromoa from Notre Dame, which I know we, we touched on him a bunch in the last episode I was on. Um, so he was a guy that I loved on tape, but like I also brought up in the last episode, the teams have so much more information than what we have as, as fans and uh, in media and, and everything else. And it turned out that there was a, a heart condition discovered with Owosu Koromoa, and that's what kind of dropped him down. So I was sitting there on draft night saying, okay, he's, he's there. Let's, let's take him. You know, we need that, that speed guy in the second level of the defense. Uh, overall, I mean, Cormoa was, was cleared, but I think when teams, when teams see something like that, a medical red flag, right. They, they're hesitant because they're, this is a lot of money. This is a lot. It's, it's an investment, right. And, you don't want to take that if you have a concern. So, um, you know, knowing that if I was actually in a, a NFL draft room, I would have had access to that information. I, I maybe wouldn't have taken him there. And the way the board fell, the way I had it, I probably would have been looking to trade back at 29, honestly. That's what we were thinking on draft yeah, night was that they were going to trade back instead of kind of stick on 29 like they did. Justin, yeah, Mason, I, w- I was going to ask um, just real quick if you um, if you could give us a like an NFL draft comp of of who uh, Stokes could uh, kind of develop into. Does does he have like Richard Sherman qualities, or or uh, what what kind of guy could he develop into? Sure. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I've never been a really big fan of of comps. Um, you know, I just I think there's, there's rarely two guys that just have all the same things that I'm talking, you know, from a size perspective, uh, a traits perspective, a personality perspective, a locker room fit perspective. I mean, there's so many aspects that go into it. So I've never been a huge fan of it. Um, but just from, from watching, um, you know, I, he kind of reminds me of a, of a Josh Norman, back in the the 2014 2015 Carolina days um where it just you know when when Norman would play press coverage and he would get his hands on guys early he was really damn good i mean mm-hmm. he was able to reroute guys and just you know be physical throughout throughout the entire route i mean you saw him when uh, when he played the Giants and OBJ, I mean, those two you know, beat the hell out of each other. I mean, he was just physical 
throughout the entire routes down. That's what he had to do to be successful. And I kind of see that with Stokes a little bit. I see him being a lot more successful from press coverage, like I said, um, than, than anything else. But, you know, I guess if I had to throw a guy out, that would probably be the guy that, that I'd look at. All right, with that, Mason, then we look into the second round. We got Josh Myers, center out of Ohio State. Uh, where are you sitting <laughs> on him? Yeah, th- this was a, a pick that I was kind of curious to see where the Packers would go. Uh, yeah, at, at that point, like I, like I said, you know, just a second ago with Uosu Kormoa still being there, I was like wondering if, you know, if they would jump on him at that point. I had a feeling they would maybe go offensive line. The the uncertainties kind of in the middle, and and when the pick came out for for Myers, I mean he's a really big guy for a center. I mean he's six five, he's three hundred and ten pounds, um, so he's he's he has the size for sure. But uh, at at that point, I had Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma, uh, you know, ahead of him. You know, I had, I had a third round grade my seventh overall interior offensive line prospect. And, you know, I thought Creed Humphrey was maybe in, in a better position. Uh, I had a early third rounder on, on Creed and I had a early fourth on, on Myers. Um, but obviously, you know, they, they decided to go the, the Myers route and, and with him, you know, he's, like I said, he's a really big center. So, you know, with that, you know, you maybe question some of the athletic abilities of him. You know, you're not going to question the the physical strength or, or anything like that. But there are a number of things that I would look at as concerns uh, for the most part. Um, but, you know, when you look at an offensive lineman, you know, where you're looking at uh, a looking at awareness and the knee bend, body control, mobility, their pass block ability, run block ability, uh, their ability to use their hands in both pass protection and run blocking, uh, their ability to sustain blocks and finish blocks are all prevalent when you're studying offensive linemen. And when you're looking at him, you know, I think the competitiveness is something that stands out right away. I think he has, you know, a great sense of urgency, um, right off the snap, he really wants to get on guys early. Um, you know, if he wins with his hands, if he gets that first initial punch, I think he's a really solid blocker. But I think, I think the ability to win with his hands was not consistent enough to be worthy of a pick in the second round. Like his his reach and his extension, his punch timing and placement, all those things were hit and miss when I looked at him on tape. And, you know, when you're playing in the interior O-line like he is, the athletic traits are minimized, right? Because you're not playing tackle. You're not out in a bunch of space run blocking or pass blocking, right? But, you know, that the technically soundness, if, if that's a word, of, of the athlete becomes more of a premium when you're playing in those condensed areas. And when I look at him, I think his, his balance and his control, uh, overall, whether it's right at the point of attack or if he's climbing to the second level, uh, I don't think his body control is fantastic, 
Um, I think his his anchor ability, which means you know, you, know, you snap the football and you're engaged blocking, and you're being pushed back, you have to really dig your your feet into the ground, and it takes a lot of core and leg and and back muscle to be able to withstand the the rush from the from the defender. And in those situations, I, I think he's okay. I mean, he's he's rarely pushed back onto his heels, so I think he does well to to drop the anchor. So you know, it shows the power that he has. But at the at the point of attack, like I said, the the hand technique. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to move guys off the line of scrimmage. I think he's more of a stalemate kind of guy, a guy that just kind of holds the defenders at the point, which you know, in some instances, is fine. Um, but you know, I think there were maybe some better options at that point for the Packers, but yeah, the, the Packers have developed offensive linemen for, for years now. And they obviously saw some things that they liked, uh, in, in Myers for sure. And I think he definitely has, has some tools to work with. So I'm looking forward to seeing how he fits in. Um, and if he, uh, gets starting reps right away. Yeah, so with that, Mason, I mean, all excellent information on on linemen here and Josh Myers. So with that, I think we can go into the pick that a lot of people are probably the most excited about in being Amari Rogers, and how he'll fit in this Green Bay receiving core. Yeah, definitely. He's he's definitely a guy to be excited about. Um, you know, when when you look at him on tape, you know, if, if you're watching as a, as a Packer fan and, and you're looking at him, you almost just go right to the thought of Randall Cobb. Just, he is just a similar, he's, he's a little bit shorter, but he's not small, right? I mean, he's, he's short, but he's not small, which means he's very, very thick top to bottom. And when you look at him, he's 5'10", but he's 210 pounds. Um, so, I mean, like I said, just thick top to bottom. Um, you, you look at him from a, a traits perspective. And when you look at wide receivers, when you're looking on film, you look at how they release off the football, you know, can they defeat press coverage? Can they chew up the cushion against off coverage? Um, the route stem, what do they do to manipulate the corner throughout the, the course of the route? What do they do at the top of the route? Um, what angles do they catch the football at? Can they adjust around their frame? what do they do after the catch? Can they, are they a guy that gets tackled right away? Can they fight for extra yardage and be a home run hitter down the field? So there's a lot of things to look at when you're looking at a wide receiver on tape. And he's a guy that played with the number one overall pick in the draft and and Trevor Lawrence. And so when you look at him, guys kind of puts him into that primarily a slot, uh, your receiver, uh, type of role. Um, but, you know, you look at his versatility when you look at where he lined up in the offense at Clemson. I mean, they lined him up in the slot, played some outside, played some wing. I think he was in the backfield uh, a couple of times. So, I mean, they, they move him around quite a bit. Uh, he returned punts as well. So he's done a lot of different things, uh, which is definitely something that you like. I mean, you always want versatile players on your football team. But... You know, when you look at him, uh, I think he had a lot of manufactured touches. So when I say that, it's a lot of you know quick outs or little swing passes, something to get the ball in his hands early in the play. 
And I think that was primarily successful. Um, I think his hands are very reliable, plays physical, you know, a, a good athlete for sure. Um, you know, you want to do things as an offense to take advantage of his, his physicality, the burst that he has, um, very, very decisive with the ball in his hands. I mean, he puts a foot in the ground, gets up field immediately. He breaks tackles. So he does a lot of really good things with the football in his hand. Um, the ability to adjust his routes when, you know, primarily when he's against zone coverage and that speaks to the mental aptitude that he has. And when I say adjusting routes and zone coverage, you know, if, if you're facing a zone coverage, you got to know when to sit down in between defenders to give your quarterback a spot to throw the football. And he did that extremely well. I think he, he understands what's being given to him. So you definitely like that. His hands super plucky, just, you know, plucks the ball out of the, out of the air. Um, really good to ability to extend. Um, he doesn't have great length. Like I said, I mean, he's five ten. he's, you know, a shorter guy. So his, his catch radius isn't huge, but overall the, the drops really just weren't there. Obviously no one really goes through an entire career in college without catch, you know, without dropping a ball, but, um, you can go games and games of watching tape without seeing the ball on the ground, uh, off his hands. So you got to definitely like that. Um, you know, when you look at a, uh, a separation standpoint, so at the top of the route, um, you know, the, the best for being a slot guy for him is that you have a two way go, right? So you can either break inside or you break outside and the, the defender doesn't have the luxury of using the, the sideline as an extra defender. So, uh, I think he was really, really good at that. I think he can stem his routes well. Uh, can stack the corner. You know, understands the leverage very well. Uh, the acceleration out of his break is, is really good. Um, and you know, like I said, you know, after the catch, once he has once he has the ball in his hands, um, you know, he puts a foot in the ground, gets upfield. So he's a guy that can you know, definitely create big plays. So in in Lafleur's offense where a lot of the plays are manufactured and you're running, you know, mesh concept, or you're running a lot of different concepts that look very similar. You're faking inside zone and throwing a quick pass outside. A lot of those things can definitely benefit him for sure. Just get the ball in his hands and let him do his thing after the catch. So I think he's going to be a really great fit. Um, you know, you're looking outside of those top receivers like, like Waddle and Smith and Chase you know, Rogers was a guy that really fit what the Packers were looking for, for sure. Because right now you look at the Packers wide receiver room over the past couple of years and Devonte Adams was the tallest guy or the shortest guy in there. And he was six foot two. And they just, they, ever since Cobb left, they really didn't have that shorter, quick twitch, true slot receiver. And now that they have that, I think, um, you know, it can definitely be a big benefit to uh, LaFleur and the entire offense. All right, Mason, so just to kind of quickly go through here, the best of the rest rounds four, five, six, and seven. Anybody really standing out from those later round picks that you want to talk about here? Yeah, I mean, really, I think the if, if you want to talk about value, um, I think the, the best value that they got was with Kylan Hill, the running back that they got from Mississippi state. 
Um, I had a fifth round grade on him and they got him in the seventh. And I was, I was shocked that he was still on the board at that point. You know, I wasn't necessarily waiting on them to take a running back or hoping that they would take a running back or anything, but the value that they got with that pick, I think is, is something that's going to be interesting to, to follow as a, you know, seventh round pick usually have to really fight to, to make their roster, but with the value that they at, you know, at that pick, he can really, I think, step in and immediately be that number three guy behind Jones and Dylan. So I, th- I really liked that one. Uh, Gene Charles from Appalachian state was a re- another really interesting one. I didn't get to watch nearly as much on him as I wanted because tape was just kind of limited, um, you know, with a, a smaller school like that. But um, he's got really great length. Uh, he's another guy who just really likes to get his hands on the receiver uh, at the start of the play, uh, likes to dictate the route, uh, can stay glued to the receiver throughout the route stem. Ball skills are really good, tracks it well coming in. Um, so I think he's got a lot of great tools to work with also. So I'm really, really excited to, to see what he does specifically, because I think he can really be a good ball player. All right. And then just with that Mason, so just a couple over the entire, you know, every draft pick the Packers had, who would you say is the best fit in green Bay of all the picks? And you you can, and you, and I'm sorry to cut you off here, but. If you even want to pair this with who you're most excited for, maybe I don't know, that's the better question to add here. But um, if you kind of have that both of those in mind here. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Amari Rogers pick was a was a slam dunk. Um, you know, I think when uh, when they traded up, I wasn't exactly sure you know where they were going. I had a feeling that he was maybe a, a target of theirs because you know you look at. You, you, you look at interviews and, and things with, with Dabo Sweeney down at Clemson. You, you hear things from inside building there, and he was just a great kid that was always in the classroom, um, really great teammate. Um, and and he had all those things on top of what he did on the football field, right? And that's just kind of a guy that the Packers tend to take, right? They, they tend to take that good locker room guy, the guy that's going to come in and work hard. And so – from best fit overall, I think he he fits Green Bay Packers to a T, and that's both on the football field and in the locker room. Justin? Yeah, so I, I've got one last question for you here. Um, just just uh, kind of covering the offensive lineman. I, I like to cover the offensive lineman. It, it's, uh, it's interesting to me, this class. Um, obviously with, with Myers, Newman, and, and uh, Van Landon, do you think that the, the logic or the, uh, the philosophy of the, of the Packers is, is really shifting towards a uh, run-oriented uh, offense with, with, with the uh, prospects that they drafted on the offensive line? Um, but the one that really sticks out uh, to me is Newman who Royce Newman from Ole Miss who comes really from, from Lane Kiffin's offense there. That, that is a pass happy offense. So um, I, that, that's why it's kind of curious to me where they're, where they're kind of shifting their thought process to, 
to the type of offensive lineman that they're they're looking at developing. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely interesting for sure because you you go back and you look to last year's draft. They took three offensive linemen last year's too. So that's six offensive in the past two drafts, which is really heavy for you know a single position. Obviously, they took some guys that play in tackles, but um, you know when you're it, it, I was in, I was I don't know, I guess confused is probably the best word as to to why they went with three again this year because that essentially to me kind of just means that you punted on some guys that you took last year because when you look at rosters once they get dwindled down to to the fifty three active um, you know most teams keep eight to nine offensive linemen and you know right now. You, know, you think Bakhtiari, you got Jenkins, you got Turner, you got Patrick, um, you have, um, you know, right. the guy, yeah, you got, you got the guys that they took last year in the draft. So that, I mean, that's eight and you have, um, Josh Neiman on the roster currently as well. That's nine. And then you add these three to the mix. I mean, that's, that's 12 offensive linemen that you, that you have, I don't know what they're carrying right now. Um, as the roster stands right now, I would want to say it's probably 11 or 12 for sure. Maybe even 13. Um, so it's just kind of interesting that, you know, they were already, they already had, you know, eight, nine offensive linemen on the roster and they decided to add three more. But to your point, the, the type of offensive linemen that they're going for. And when you look at, the the schemes that they played in particularly the the running schemes it was a lot of zone teams right and that's what LaFleur likes to run is that inside and even you know more outside zone um and and Royce uh definitely played you know a lot of that um you know played a lot of in a zone blocking scheme he's more of a positional blocker than he is you know getting vertical up the field so you know that that initial vertical step may not be where you want it to be, but that, that zone, that lateral step is where he succeeds. And that definitely fits the floor system. So, you know, he has versatility also. So I think he has ability to, um, to move inside and play guard. I think, you know, he's a multi-positional backup player, you know, with their, with the roster, the way it stands right now. Um, I think he can play, you know, right tackle, right guard, you know, left guard, but he's, he's more of a backup guy right now, but you're definitely seeing more of those guys that played in zone blocking run schemes in, in college. Yeah. With that makes awesome analysis of the, the draft here this year. Uh, you got a couple of missed stocks from NASCAR here too. Absolutely. So I think Ramsey's all fired up. I mean, he's been pretty quiet in this interview, but uh, we all, you know, I know personally that you're, you're a Chase Elliott guy. Uh, Chase finally gets that win at Circuit of America. Turning around for him maybe this year. Yeah, they they've had a they've had a rough go of it for sure. Um, you know, you you look if you if you follow it, you know, meticulously. Um, the nine just has not seemed to have the pace that the rest of the Hendrick guys have. I mean, Larson has been consistently probably the fastest uh, you know week to week. Um, and then Byron's been right there, but I mean, there's been multiple times, you know, if you, if you turn a race on and 
yeah, you see Hendrick cars and you see Larson, Byron, Bowman all running top 10. And then you see, you know, the nine and Chase Elliott down, you know, 13th, you know, 12th, 13th spot. And, um, just, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting for sure. And I think a lot of the, the issues they've had seem to have been on pit road. And, um, I was at Talladega, uh, you know, for what a month ago now, and they had, I want to say at least two, if not three issues on pit road in that one race. And, um, you know, they've definitely, I think they picked it up the last couple of weeks. I think their stops have gotten quicker and, and things like that, but, um, you know, hopefully getting that win under their belt, um, can, can definitely turn them in the right direction. And maybe they're, you know, starting to take some notes from Larson's team because they've had pace pretty much everywhere they've gone in the five crew. So, um, yeah, I think just kind of calibrating everything as a, as an organization can definitely serve Chase in the 19 well moving forward. I think one of the things to piggyback on with Chase Elliott, though, is he's, this year he's been doing what champions do, though, having problems on pit road, but still managing to be in the top, you know, 8 to 12 that he's been running pretty consistently all season. So that's something to, you know, if you're a Chase Elliott fan, to get behind that. You know, he might not be getting wins and, you know, top fives, but he's still contending and he's getting top tens and that's say win rings in NASCAR especially. Yeah, definitely. And at the, the race I look at regarding that specifically was Richmond where yep. I, I want to run around 15th to 16th most of the race. And I, I don't know if he for sure went a lap down or he was just on the very tail end of the lead lap and just had no pace pretty much all day, but then, you know, it comes to the end of the race and there's a late race restart and he's restarting ninth. It's like, well, how, you know, how did he get up there? When did he get up there? You know? And, um, to, to your point, exactly. It's, you know, being, uh, being a champion, being a mature driver and, you know, not trying to get too much out of your car and not putting yourself in a bad position at the wrong time. And all those things can help you get good finishes, uh, throughout the course of the year. That's awesome. So what'd you think about Talladega? I've, that's one race I've not been able to get to, and I've always wanted to go down there. So why don't you tell everyone oh, what you thought, think about the Talladega experience? Oh, it was awesome. Absolutely awesome. I mean, if um, I've been fortunate, I've been to, I think that was my 12th track now, and I've been fortunate to hit some of the kind of the marquee events on the circuit, like Bristol and Martinsville and Daytona and Darlington and now Talladega. And, um, part of me kind of wishes that it would have been, uh, I would have went down just for the whole experience where, yeah. you know, they didn't have eating and stuff. I mean, they still had 40, 45,000 fans there and stuff and, um, parking lots and campgrounds were just packed up with people. And the, the thing that I love most about going is it's just such a fun laid back atmosphere and particularly in Talladega in it's out in the middle of, you know, pretty much nowhere. It's right on the edge of the Talladega national forest. So it's in a beautiful scenic area. Um, but everyone's just there to have a great time and kick back. And, um, you know, the, the sights and the sounds specifically are amazing because it, it might have had a, you know, to do with the way the wind was blowing that day, but it was blowing from the back straightaway towards where we were sitting on the, on the front stretch. And when those cars hit the banking and turned three, and even when they came off the banking and turned four and headed back towards us, and we were sitting right in the middle of the trioval, 
um, the sound of those motors running back towards you. And if you haven't been to one, it's like, unlike anything that yeah. you've ever experienced because you hear it. And then once they get you know, however many hundreds of yards away from you, you know, you start feeling it kind of underneath you in your seat and then, uh, inside of you a little bit as well. And just the, those cars flying by in a big pack like that at uh, 200 miles an hour is just something you can't really even describe. So yeah, Talladega out of all the tracks I've been to, um, that was probably, probably right at the top and I would absolutely go back in a heartbeat. All right, so we got another marquee event this weekend, Coca-Cola 600. Who you got for a pick this weekend, Mason? Yeah, that, that was uh, another one I was I was fortunate to go to, uh, you know, back in the day. Uh, you know, 600 miles, long, long race, got to manage your stuff throughout the course of the event. Um, when I look to, to guys that have been running well and seem to run well there, um, you know, I think you got to look at, maybe Denny Hamlin, you know, coming through and getting his, his first win of the year. He's been right there numerous times. And if, you know, matter what it is, um, you know, the car goes away or, um, they get a flat tire or a bad pit stop late in the race, just something has seemed to gone wrong every single time that he's been in position to win races after leading a bunch of laps this year. Um, so I would maybe look, look to him for one. And then, you know, uh, a mile and a half is, is kind of where Larson seems to shine a little bit. Um, you know, Charlotte doesn't have quite the, the worn out surface that Larson has kind of owned so far this year. Um, but, uh, you know, you can never, never count Larson out on a, on a mile and a half either. So, um, I would definitely look at those two probably for the, for this weekend. Finally gets a win maybe after finishing second, so many weeks in a row now. Yeah, it, it could be for sure. And, um, you know, the, the sport as a whole is, you know, really, I hate a different, different direction here, but, um, the sports in a really exciting place right now. And I would encourage people that are listening that maybe aren't into the sport to, to just give it a chance. And they are coming to Wisconsin, uh, in just over a month, they're coming to road America, which is really exciting. So, um, maybe give the opportunity to go check it out and stuff like that. And, um, there's a lot of revival projects happening with some of the older tracks on the circuit. I'm not sure if you guys have seen any of that at all, but North Wilkesboro you know, and Nashville fairgrounds. Yeah. And- yeah it's, and it's been awesome because Dale Earnhardt Jr. has been a huge advocate for it. And they're trying to put Nashville fairgrounds to revitalize that and, get going back at North Wilkesboro and get some of these historic old tracks back on the circuit again, which would be fantastic for the sport. I think they need more short tracks on the schedule. And, um, so there's a lot of really exciting things happening in the sport. I think, um, I think the product's good. They got a new, uh, new generation of stock car coming out, uh, for next season. And, I think there's obviously a lot of parody because there's what been 11 different winners and 13 or 14 different races. So um, really, really exciting time to to be a fan of racing for sure. Justin. Yeah. So um, Mason, as we, as we wrap up here, I I just got one question for you. Um, You know, that, that the springtime is kind of an exciting time. You, You have the NBA playoffs kind of, jumping up uh, nascar is really starting to to take hold in in 
see all different seven kinds of races or tracks that they're attacking and the NFL draft is coming up. And, and uh, so my question is for you at, at this time of the year, or maybe just uh, two months ago or a month ago uh, on a scale of one to 20, who uses a scale of one to twenty? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah, what? Who who uses a scale, scale of one to twenty? Scale of one to twenty. How excited are you for spring training baseball? Oh, at that okay. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll I'll say this. I like I I'm I'm with you. I've never heard of a a one to twenty scale. That's kind of it's kind of screwed up. But um, <laughs> um, at at that time, if you're I've, if I'm being forced to go back a couple months, I'm going NFL draft. Very excited for that. The masters extremely excited for that. Obviously yeah. now are, uh, you know, watch every weekend of that. So I get excited for that. Stanley cup playoff hockey. is coming up. So excited for that. Uh, spring training is, uh, is pretty low, but it's still above the NBA. I'll wow. take that. I'll take that answer. <laughs> All right, Mason. Awesome stuff once again. Love having you on. We'll definitely have to touch base again once training camp gets closer and once we kind of maybe have some answers in the Aaron Rodgers scenarios and situation and, and take a look at this roster as we get closer to training camp. And then who knows? We'll have you on probably a bunch in the season. Thanks again for coming on and actually for promoting the hell out of the yeah. episode you were on. Uh, our yeah. most listened to episode, and it's not even close, so... That's the Mason effect, and hopefully we can have you keep coming back and keep that going. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I love coming on and uh, talking ball with you guys. So anytime uh, you want to have me on, definitely uh, just hit me up, and I'll, uh, I'll come, come talk for probably endless amounts of time. I probably probably talk a little too much, but uh, I'll come talk some ball with you guys anytime. So hey. I appreciate you guys having me on again. Yeah, if you're still in De Pere, I mean, we have a third mic because Justin never shows up, so... Well, definitely open seat for you here. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Watch your face, Eric. Well, it's been what, another three <laughs> weeks in a row you haven't showed up. Right. We've had to zoom in with you. Two weeks ago, he wasn't even here. Have- yeah, two weeks ago, he just called in. Called right. in to work. I apologize <laughs> for this foolishness. Hey, that, you know, that's okay. Sometimes, you know, you just got to work your, work your issues out in, in uh, a public-type setting. That's, a, that's okay. <laughs> we only work issues out in public. It's true. It's true. No closed doors here. That's the only way to do it. All right. Thanks again, Mason. Great having you on. Great stuff. Thank you guys. Really appreciate it. Excellent stuff from Mason. My goodness. Could you imagine being that good at something? Like all our potato asses sitting around here and Mason just comes in. I mean, he's going to come on later episodes too. Like we've got a. We've got a book ahead of time. Yeah, we, Before we, it gets too big, we have to sign an exclusive deal with him or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exclusive rights. All right. Good <laughs> stuff. He he said so many things. And, and, you know, we, with Justin not joining us here in person, we have to kind of communicate with our, our group chat here. And, and just every time we thought about asking a question, he would answer it within the question we had, like, yeah, already answered. What a consummate uh, professional. Uh, nah, you got it. Yeah. Nothing like none of our pine cone asses. Goddamn Mason, always taking <laughs> content away from us. 
He didn't though. I mean, he he gave us extra. On yeah. Top of what, what else? Expected. What are we gonna say that's better than what he had to say? <laughs> well, yeah. at least make us look stupid before he he sounds smart. No, we we look stupid by ourselves. Don't we don't have to worry about that, Justin. <laughs> Not don't I you don't you worry one expletive second. Yeah, we, we'll make ourselves look dumb. Don't worry. Speaking of making people look dumb, by the way, Ramsey, what did I bring you for dinner tonight? Eric brought me a McChicken and a strawberry banana smoothie. How good was the McChicken hey, that I brought you? It was dank. Me and Eric had McChickens in the kitchen right before we started. Let me ask you a question, boys. Yes, sir. Did you put the mac sauce on it? We there did, was and cheese. Mac sauce and cheese. It was life changing. I told you. He looked at. Did me. I not tell you? He, I, I ended the cheese. That was on me. He looked at me. He's like, I see your point. <laughs> Only thing he said during during the the consuming, I see your point. So we can dispel that Mick Chicken hate on this show, and I, I'm so that's, happy about that's that. That's the only reason he brought him. <laughs> you are never gonna live down the words that came out of your mouth. Ramsey, how day. many did I eat tonight? I had two. You had, he had one. Two. He did have two McChickens tonight. I I out McChicken Ramsey. So. We can dispel the fake news well, that is that Eric hates McChickens. It felt bad that Ramsey didn't have one. Right. That's exactly what happened. Not to mention that I bought him a smoothie, too. Like, I planned to have dinner with Ramsey tonight. So we can dispel that hate, and we can wrap up the show with what we always wrap the show up with. What are we rooting for this coming week? I'll go first on this one because I, I hope I don't steal your guys' thunder. But I'm rooting for racing. Indy 500, Coca-Cola 600. Great weekend for motorsports. That's where my eyes will be. I'll probably have some baseball in the background just because that's how I am, and Ramsey's going to hate on that. I'm just watching baseball. But that's where my primary focus is going to be is Coke, or Indy 5, Coke 6. There's one long day racing on Sunday. And you said that's Sunday, like a bad Sunday, thing. Sunday, Sunday. Luckily, we have a day to recover on Monday. You no need to recover. I'm just saying it's a long day of racing. What are you rooting for this week, Rams? Well, I was going to root for NASCAR, but I mean... I guess. Take it, take it. No, Add I on. I don't want to. Okay, what, no, are you, what else are you going to root for? Nothing. Okay. Justin? Yeah, I got a couple. Okay. I'm excited. Uh, tomorrow, uh, we, we get to go and, and have an ultrasound on our little baby girl. Um, we're, we're a couple weeks out. I think tomorrow marks four weeks out. So we're not going to see you for another that. 18 years? And so, um, I'm excited. Yeah. It might be a while. Um, so uh, this this might have to be our, our, our new short-term kind of setup. It's been our setup. But I'm also rooting for racing. <laughs> um, you know, you're right. It's probably, it's, it's outside of the 500, it's probably the greatest day in racing there there is. I mean, it's um, not Le Mans or 24 hours at Daytona. This, I, I'll take the Coke 6 over. I, or I would almost take the Coke 6 over, over the 500, to be honest with you. But, um, and then and then just uh, just the NBA playoffs in, in general. And, and kind of get these crybabies to settle down and, and shut up and play some ball. I would say, though, the NBA playoffs have been very good so far. Oh, yeah. At this so, point, there's been some great basketball. I know Justin's kind of hating on it, but it's fine. Justin hates a lot of things. 
Anyway, anyway. So to wrap up our show, Memorial Day is coming up on Monday. Gotta thank those who have uh, lost their lives defending this country. Obviously, we wouldn't be here without you. We wouldn't be able to talk, sit here and talk sports and nonsense and expletive, expletives and, and whatnot. So thanks to those who served our country and, and gave the ultimate sacrifice. With that said, yes. this is episode 24 in the books. I'm Eric. That's Ramsey. Justin Vaughn the Zoom. We are out. See ya. Salute. Bye.